it's me. It's me. It's Sig Daddy. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show after a brief little hiatus of two weeks. But we're back and we're ready to go. We're bringing it this time with Destination X 2005. I, of course, am joined by my assistant, the assistant to the, to the host of the show, J.O. We are ready for some Des- Destination X 2005, our third uh, TNA retro, like retro TNA pay-per-view review uh, during the show. Yes, and you know, out of the three so far, I would say this one is the most so-so. Just a little spoiler of how I felt about this pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, just early thoughts here. Yes, some early thoughts here from J.O. And uh, I have some deferring thoughts on this show, but we're not going to waste a whole lot of time getting into this. But I'm going to just mention first off that uh, next week we'll be discussing, since the since the, show is, uh, since the show hasn't been on for two weeks, a lot's happened in the wrestling world. Vince McMahon has stepped down from power. Triple H is now the new head of creative. And the new WWE looks like a whole new world and they can use the word wrestler now. So this is going to be a fun conversation (laughs) next week. So we're going to see how the world will look. The WWE landscape will look with triple H in charge of the creative process. And uh, it should be a fun conversation next week, J.O. Oh, absolutely. I already have some ideas of where this can go, who can come back, what's going to happen. It's, is it a dawn of a new era for the WWE? I hope so. I do too. I certainly hope so. But uh, our topic of today is a Destination X 2005. Uh, TNA Destination X 2005 took place at the Impact Zone March 13th, 2005 at Universal Orlando Studios. And uh, it's a nine-match card. 775 were in attendance for this show. And... JL, this this show starts with the most one of the most interesting things. I think TNA did this earlier on, but literally they had a rising shot of a woman's posterior, derriere as they like to call it. I, well, that's certainly a choice. Yeah, not something you'd really see these days, for sure. And I mean, I guess you could say they know their audience. You know, they know who's watching. <laughs> Well, TNA has another meaning, but we're not going to get into that here. Y'all already know, unless you are a sheltered child or were a sheltered child. And so here we go. So Don Don West has this quite possibly the silkiest shirt I've ever seen. Silkiest silver shirt. Mind-blowing. I also made that note. I kind of liked it. I like the shirt. (laughs) I I wouldn't work today, but... I, I dig I dig the attempt for sure. Right. So we get this thing kicked off with an eight-man tag, Team Canada, A1, Bobby Roode, Eric Young, and Petey Williams with Johnny Devine and Coach Demore versus three live crew, BG James and Conan. And they're teaming up with the NWA Tag Team Champions, America's Most Wanted, Chris Harris and James Storm. A&W are currently the NWA Tag Champs and uh, – at the beginning of the match, Conan and BG James cut promos accidentally says soon to be NWA tag champs, which that was probably not the best choice of words there as AMW is standing right in the ring and they're about to team up with them. But uh, big USA chant to start this one. And uh, JL, I just kind of want to get your early thought. What were your thoughts on uh, this match? Because it, it, I don't know about the eight man tag. For, I, I 
Ted, eight man tag seem like they get to be too much at some point. There's like too much stuff going on. See, for me, if you're going to have an eight man tag, I almost feel like you have to have a lot going on, right? Because mm-hmm. you have eight guys in the ring. If it's just two people wrestling and uh, six guys waiting to get tagged in or whatever, that just that just doesn't feel. Uh, like the best way to utilize the amount of people in the ring, I guess I should say. So I actually kind of welcomed that there was a lot going on, but that, that might just be me. And the, and like in this match, there was a lot of like team Canada cheating. Which kind of surprised me because I thought Canadians were supposed to be super nice. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't think I heard a sorry once. Nope. Nope. They were certainly cheating a lot. Um, BG was looking really good in this match. Conan's traps, man, those things are freaking gigantic. There were a lot of big guys in this match, I should say. A Conan lot of was jacked. But, uh, yeah, so we get BG with his trademark jabs and rights early. Um, it's young and with Conan, nice exchange before a clothesline from it. Threw a shoe at <laughs> EY. Uh, then he threw it at Rude as well. Um so injured divine at one point gets taken out on the outside and then Eric young blindsides, uh, Chris Harris charges corner and Ruda pulls PD away at one point. Um, there's a lot of USA chance in this match. Um, there Conan hit a rolling thunder clothesline on Rude, which was interesting. He had a beautiful Alabama slam on young just to get through a couple of highlights of this as uh, after mm-hmm. he got the hot tag, uh, there's a float over on Rude in the closing moments, a running drop kick on Rude. And uh, so then Conan at the end goes for a tequila sunrise submission on Rude. Young breaks it up. Melee ensues. Uh, Coach Demore gets involved. Conan throws him off the top. Rude then clotheslines Conan from behind to get the win at eight minutes and 49 seconds. And uh, I thought it wasn't a bad opener. It didn't set the world on fire, though. No, it definitely didn't. One spot that I felt like I had I had a note about was uh, Conan. He threw a shoe, right, yeah. at Rude, and it absolutely dropped him. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, damn, like what kind of arm does Conan have that throwing a shoe would drop a full-grown man? Like these wrestlers are not small by any means. So maybe that was just R- Rude's, uh, Rude's, yeah, Rude uh, overselling it. But I just I I kind of chuckled at that spot. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it was everyone got involved at some point, like all members of the teams. Did anyone really stand out to you in this match? Not really. Because they all just kind of were in there at some point, and then Conium had a good uh, good hot tag. That's about all I could pinpoint. Yeah, and uh, no, no one was bad, I should say. It's just they were all okay. And mm-hmm. one thing I wanted to know, so is was the Lariat his finisher at the time? I think it was. They were calling it something else. I couldn't remember what Tanae said. I don't okay, think it, it didn't look like much of a finisher. It was just a clothesline in the back of the neck. That's that's because that was my exact thought. He hit it, went for the pin, and when it actually counted, I was like, that's it? That was that was the move? You expect a so little more, but Yeah, that's that's what confused me the most because i wasn't sure if that was i mean a lariat can be a good finisher absolutely. if it's if done right <laughs> if it if done right 
but in that in this situation it wasn't no i i gave this match a c plus it wasn't like anything mind-blowing uh not too far off i was a b minus okay yeah i think you're gonna be a little more forgiving here than i am for this show but and that up next we had chris saban versus chase stevens uh stevens one half of the naturals they're managed by chris candido the late chris candido and uh there were some good traits of athleticism at one early on in this match uh, ended with the hurricane rana um so stevens powders out and actually before that i forgot okay i gotta go back i gotta go i gotta go back a little bit because we get the underlying storyline the whole entire night here because we get the director of authority dusty Rhodes with tracy and trinity here and johnny fairplay from survivor shows up this is a storyline they play out throughout the pay-per-view yeah they i noticed that which is something i really don't think they do much anymore no uh AEW doesn't do it that much wwe will attempt to do it most of the time well that's uh, sometimes uh, he wants another chance. He's broke, wants to be Dusty's assistant, needs to put – Dusty says he needs to put two guys on contract before the show's over. And Dusty had a great line here. Take your bony ass out of here and go get him. <laughs> okay. Now back to the Saban-Stevens match. I thought this wasn't bad, really. Um, there, ha- there was some interference going on. It was pretty much a three-on-one match, if you want to think about it. It was a lot of – distractions and then Steve then Saban getting beat on by uh his uh by Douglas and Candido yeah I had to yeah there was it was so much three on one that I had to rewind the video to double check to make sure I didn't miss if it was officially a three on one or not or if they were just interfering the entire time yeah and then there was a low blow by Stevens at one point uh I said Saban had a pretty good hurricane run it early on Saban looked really good here um, he hit at a, a term. He had an averted atomic drop on Stevens was making a comeback. He, he hit some clotheslines. This is the third. It was after this heat segment from uh, Stevens. A uh, moments later, a step up into Gertie, uh, freaking awesome. Then a pitch perfect, perfect springboard tornado DDT uh, gets a near fall. Um, this is the later portion of the match. The last moments. Stevens goes for a hammerlock DDT. Saban counters. Goes for the cradle shock. Distraction from Candido and Douglas comes in to make the save. And Douglas comes in to make the save and double team Saban while the ref's back is turned here. Mm-hmm. Stevens goes for a nonchalant cover with the tights pulled. Saban then brilliantly flips Stevens over in a bridge and gets the three count at 6-12. And uh, yeah, th- this, was, I, this was a solid match, I thought. Pretty solid. I liked the finish. Yeah, I also like the finish too. And the spot right before the pinfall where there was, I guess, kind of a super kick when uh, Stevens like lifted up Saban, hit him with a, with a little super kick for the, for the uh, count. I thought that was a nice spot. And the, you know, the uh, invincible move, the roll-up didn't work. Or I guess I should say that it did work. It was just reversed. It worked against him. Yeah, it worked against him. Um, but yeah, it was... It was good. I liked it. It lasted six minutes and 12 seconds. A lot of these matches are short on this show. They're under 12, they're under 10 minutes, but uh, I gave it a B minus. I said, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this match much more than the opener, a bit more than the opener. 
Uh, like I would agree. With, yeah, I, I would like, agree with you. Oh <laughs> God! All right, uh, yeah, I I, you I liked the story they told though here. So Saban had some really impressive offense. He was 23 here, and he's still active today with a uh, partner, uh, tag partner Alex Shelley, Motor City Machine Guns, and Impact Wrestling. Goodness. Yep. I, I, I still hear the name Chris Saban thrown out every time I'm checking wrestling Twitter or just watching a highlight on YouTube. And he, I definitely thought he looked good. Um, and I, I would agree with what you said. I liked it better than the opening. What'd you give it grade wise? I just gave it another B. A B, another B, man. Back to back. Uh, you gave yours, you gave the first match a B minus, right? B minus and then a B. Okay. I th- yeah. I thought. I thought these were good matches. We're, we're you're deferred, like we're like about a le- half a letter, like a qu- third of a letter grade off on these so far. But then we get a we get first of the many post match beatdowns here from uh, Candido and the Naturals. Man in a Mask shows up, big boots to laying out everybody. Then uh, Saban hits a tope calling hello to the outside. Man is unmasked. It's the shocker because yeah, the Naturals show up and then Man in the Mask shows up helps Saban out and it's the shocker who was on a McDonald's commercial apparently that aired during this time so I have I, I'm not familiar with the uh the guy but it was a, it was a good one and but Tanae did a good job here afterward he gives us a background on the shocker he wrestles in CML he's current NWA light heavyweight champion so at least we got a little bit of a background on the guy and so yeah yeah I wasn't I wasn't uh I, I, I didn't know who he was, just straight up. So, and by, do you think the reaction was so-so? Yeah, I didn't think it was a very good. They, they didn't really, they did, they, see, I don't like it when they do reveals, when they know, when people are like not going to know who this person is that are not like hardcore wrestling fans. Yeah. Because then it's, it's just, it's awkward. It's just awkward to watch. Yeah. yeah I, uh, you're, not, you're not wrong there, man. That's, that's, there's no why about that. So this upcoming match, it revolves around, well, in the pay-per-view in general, revolves around the revenge theme, as Tanae likes to say. Texas Bull Rope match. Dustin Rhodes versus Raven. So apparently Raven had a post-match beatdown on Dustin at Against All Odds a month prior rendering Dustin defenseless. He put Dustin in a straight jacket as a result. One thing I noticed on this pay-per-view, most of the ring announcements you can't even hear. Oh, yeah, not not really. And I, is, I'm not sure if it was because the crowd was that loud or just production was not the not the best for the show. Yeah, it did not, sir. It did not sound the best. We had the double ramps. I like that concept. TNA always had nice setups for their uh, rings, in my opinion. I like, the, I like the double ramps to the ring, and then I like the six-sided ring. I don't know. I, I like it, too, yeah. It's different. Uh, so the bull rope match, as everyone knows, is synonymous with the, the Rhodes family. Early on, Raven refuses to put the rope on the wrist. Dustin drags Raven by the rope into steel trusses. They get some innovative spots with it, with the, uh, with the rope and the cowbell. Um, he like drags Raven into the post because he like puts it underneath the uh, ring step, the ring no, the ring ropes. It just drags Raven into the trusses, which are set up for Ultimate X, which is going to happen later on on this show. And uh, chokes Raven with a rope. He sits on the top rope at one point, but Dustin gets pulled off by Raven. 
then a chair gets involved. This match doesn't go very long, by the way. It's no, very, no, very no. short for a bull rope match. Um, he wedges a chair between the top and middle rope, does Raven. He throws Dustin into the chair. There's a beatdown with a cowbell by Raven. He's jabbing the chair in the back of Dustin's neck. Elbows dro- elbow drops Dustin while his head's in the chair. Goes to, to the middle rope, dives, and hits his arm on the chair Dustin uh, Raven does and then Dustin pulls the rope and bell into Raven's nads which gosh that couldn't have felt very good because the rope rubbed against that area and I can't imagine the burn that that he felt oh yeah it probably didn't feel good no it, uh, that was not pleasant but uh, Dustin does hit a signature uppercut inverted atomic drop followed by a clothesline on the ropes He's mount, he hits some mounted punches in the corner with the bionic elbow. He goes for a bulldog with the cowbell on Raven's head. Raven counters, grabs a chair. Dustin punches the chair. Then Raven goes for a hip toss on the setup chair in the ring. Dustin catches him with the bulldog, and Raven goes, like, I think throat first into the chair. And Raven, and not Raven, but Dustin gets the pin at six minutes and seven seconds. Way too short. Way too short. For uh, since we with the finish, I like the finish. It was it was finishes like that where it's a, kind of a surprise. Like ooh, he hit that, and then that's what ends it. I like those kind of finishes. And with stipulation matches, usually should last more at least what 10, 15 this minutes. Is like, this is like a personal feud. I'm pretty. It felt like, and they only got a, six yeah. minutes. Yeah, if it's a revenge match, those should go at least. 15 because it's a story yeah there's some story behind it and we didn't get any video package on this either but yeah i had fun with it for how long it lasted i just wish it would have lasted longer i I was actually kind of surprised dustin won there without knowing how the feud was really going i i i feel like i can't say who should have won but well, well, well. Here, here's here's the history lesson. Here's a little history lesson. Raven won the NWA title, I think, about three months after this. Okay. At like Slammiversary '05. So I'm not sure, but I gave it a B minus. Um, what do you give it, Jo? B minus. All right, we're on the same page here. And after the match, it's another post-match beatdown. Team Canada shows up. They just can't. They just don't go away. And then AMW I was, comes. Yeah. I, I yeah. I wanted to say too. One one of the notes I made was so much post-match stuff went down this pay-per-view. Like every match, right? Almost every match. It seemed like it. Outside of maybe like two matches or so, or so. But yeah, AMW out here to try to make the save. And uh, that's it. And then we head to this tag match that is the most unimportant thing I've ever seen. And it just, oh, God, I hated this. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, everybody. I absolutely despised this match pretty much. So it's the Disciples of Destruction, Don and Ron Harris with Tracy versus Phi Delta Slam, Big Tilly and Bruno with uh, Trinity in their corner. So Trinity, they're trying, Trinity and Tracy are fighting for, fighting to be the Dusty Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes' assistant. So whoever's win, whoever has the winning team 
they like if their if their team wins, they get to be the assistant to Dusty. And apparently the video package here insinuates that Trinity got it on with Dusty at some point. Oh wow. And I felt in this match the teams are completely secondary as the focus is on Tracy and Trinity in this. I was kind of surprised to see how involved Trinity was getting involved, uh, how involved Trinity was getting in the match, I should say. And she, it was a, it was a tag team between two massive, massive teams, very large guys. So it kind of, it definitely surprised me to see how involved she was actually getting. Yeah. Disciples come in on motorcycles I, and on motorcycles on this. And I think Trinity's involvement was probably, I have to say the best part of this match. It was, it was, it, it surprised me seeing the spot where she was getting thrown into the crowd. That's mm -hmm. not something you usually see. So that, that was a small little, oh damn, kind of moment for me. Yeah, that was too. Yeah, I thought the same thing. But man, these teams just did not gel or vibe at all. It's so, I'm not going to go over a bunch of moves here like I did the previous match. This is so. It wasn't a whole lot. <laughs> Wasn't a whole lot of moves. This is a big meaty men bumping me, but it was not a good one of those matches. I'll tell you that. Okay, but then what? What did you? What do you think about the finish, though? Finish probably. I don't. I don't even. I don't. Yeah, the boot to the chest for a finish. Yeah, but but, but the I'm. I guess just to specify, I'm talking about the part before that, the switch that they okay, did. The switch was smart, but that was like I the, that was fun. That was that fun. was fun. But that was the only thing that was good about this match. Like this match, like the Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes Raven match got six minutes. This got ten. And then, yeah, a little, a little. Wonky. There's no, there is no excuse for that. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, we're going to go over that Trinity spot. So Trinity goes for a moonsault on the outside. None of these four guys can actually move a single lick. Like mm -hmm. the Harris the Harris brothers worked in uh, WCW and All Japan before they came to TNA, by the way, just to give a little background on the Harris brothers here. But Trinity goes for a moonsault on the outside. Don just absolutely drops her practically. And then throws her like a dart over the guardrail. Oh, he, he, I, I don't doubt he could have thrown her so much farther. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> then we get back in the ring. There's a suplex from Bruno. Misses an awful-looking elbow drop. Then Don clotheslines Bruno. Ron tagged in, clotheslines to the Phi Delta Slam, which is not a bad name, by the way. But double-team whips, knocking uh, Phi Delta Slam into one another. Their team's... Now it's two on one in the ring. Jo, you alive out there? I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Okay. And then there's a double team clothesline. Gets an absolutely lukewarm reaction. Tilly hits the big splash off the top rope while the ref's distracted. Then we get a switcheroo by the disciples. The one good point of this match. And then Tilly sets up Don. So Ron, it's Ron switches for Don, which is absolutely confusing here. You got to switch. You got to have some kind of different name here, but. Tilly sets up Don in the corner. Big boot to the chest by Don then gives the Disciples of Destruction the victory. 
at nine minutes and 55 seconds. Now Tracy will be Dusty's assistant. Yippee. I hated this match. And that was the only good thing was the switcheroo at the end. That's it. Can you think of any match that had bigger stakes than this one? Because I sure can't. Oh, gosh. My gosh. Okay. Jail, I just want to hear your grade before I give my grade. Um, my, my grade. Yeah, so-so match. I did get a – I thought the switch spot was kind of fun. In my opinion, the better, the best switch spot of, of the pay-per-view – uh, I actually just gave it a C. Oh, <laughs> oh the spot saved it. The, the, the oh, switch. Oh, I'm gonna. I, no, no disrespect to these guys. It was just not a good match. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Match could have been half the time. It would have been sufficient, and it still probably would have been too long. Both teams they had no chemistry. <laughs> no stakes here in this match. I gave it a D minus. That only thing that kept it from being an F was the switch. And that was it. <laughs> uh, fair. <laughs> if anything, I'm being a little too lenient. Yeah, you're you're being very generous. It was very that was a very generous grade, J.O. Kuda, hats off to you. I'm not gonna be so generous on here. You're the you're the good cop, I'm the bad cop. If it, I'm, I know I've said it before, but with my scaling, as long as those guys go out there and I could tell they did their thing, no, no botches, no bad wrestling, no. There was botches like, though. Okay, there were a few, <laughs> a few. But if okay, I'll say this: if they went out there and tried their best, showed that they cared, and showed that they wanted to put on a show, I'm usually pretty okay with the grade. And you know they did that, so yeah. C, maybe maybe a C minus, but you know, that's that's just me. Okay. So after the match, we get AMW with Dustin discussing what happened earlier. So Johnny Fairplay shows up again, wants to be their manager. Storm says he needs to do the test. So he gets down on all fours, covers him with hay. Co- he gets covered with hay, and then Storm rides him like a horse as he runs away. So that was kind of funny but really stupid in the way. <laughs> and now we get a match that's not much better than the last match. Monty Brown versus Triton, the alpha male. And I will say this about Monty Brown before we even get to this match. Monty Brown is a national treasure, by the way. You must protect him at all costs. Should have been a star. Should have been a world champion in TNA. They completely missed the ball on him. But okay, that's my tirade here. Guy was athletic. He's a free and has so much charisma. He had all the charisma in the world, and he could actually go in the ring semi-good. <laughs> like he was actually yep. okay, good enough in the ring to be a world champion. He had the he had the character, and he had the he was good enough in the ring to be one. So ugh. okay, there's my tirade here. So we get the TNA debut for this tall big guy that looks like generic big guy number 12 on a wrestling game. Yep. So Triton, he no-sells Monty's offense early. Uh, Monty eats a gut to the a, a gut to the punch, a punch to the gut. Triton's working over the shoulder of Monty on the steel truss, showboating on the apron. The, his none of his actual strikes are landing in this match. 
Yeah. Except, except a stiff looking back elbow, and that's about it. This match doesn't go very long either. Yeah. And so Monty's comes back, so makes a comeback. He's trying to cut down the tree. And then Triton then choke slams him and Monty kicks out of it. Uh, goes for a power slam. Monty counters. Hits some clotheslines and a drop kick that don't take Triton down. Triton then looks like he goes for like an F5 at one point. And then Monty goes for the pounce after a fallaway slam. And the lights go out. Then there's a masked man in the ring here. Some more tomfoolery going on. Monty ends up pouncing him. Covers him and Rudy Charles counts to three. But then we see Triton on the ramp. And apparently this match was declared a no contest according to cagematch.net. So we get a no contest here at six minutes with the match ending at six minutes. This is a great debut for a guy, by the way. Absolutely huge debut, man. No contest. So did they think were were we supposed to think that the masked man was Triton? And that's why the pinfall counted? Like, is that what we were supposed to think? I have no idea what was going on. Because, like, why, why did they count the pinfall unless they wanted us to think that was Triton? I have no and who would have thought that was Triton? The guy was nowhere near as big as Triton, right? I don't know, man. This was no, This <laughs> match just sucked, too. Like, Monty was trying hard, but he couldn't make up for this guy. I don't know why. I don't, They were trying to make this guy a thing, I guess, for at least a moment. It didn't work out. No, the, the only saving grace in this match was Monty's presence alone. Yeah. He, he was, it was, yeah. There was nothing that, like, differentiated Triton from any other big man I've ever seen. No. it Like, like you said, he looked like the default wrestler on uh, WWE 2K. Like, but when you start creating a guy. Yeah, like, he's, he's, the, he's the starting page that you change everything. I, I, gave this yeah. a, I gave this a D plus. This is slightly above the last match, but not much. I gave this one a C minus. Yeah. Yeah. They, we can agree this was bad. <laughs> this was really it wasn't bad. A, wasn't a good one. And so what I don't understand is what will happen late. We'll discuss later on in this show with Monty Brown, because it absolutely was the dumb, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. Not okay. I'm speaking in hyperbole there, but it was pretty dumb. What happened by the end of the show. Because Monty was a pretty over baby face, so whatever. And so up next was one of the better matches of the night, I'd say. So Jeff Hardy versus the Monster Abyss in a Falls Count Anywhere match. And I was sitting here watching this. I've seen this match before, but I'm like, I hope to God this match is like better. Because those last two were really stinky. Like this yeah. stunk up the building. So yeah. we get highlights from last month's Full Metal Mayhem match. It's a TLC, pretty much a TLC match, where Abyss won. Very personal feud. And the video package is the Jeff Hardy's theme, Modest. And then we come. Jeff Hardy comes out in orange face paint. They fight to the back early on in this one. And after not very much offense from Jeff, he hits a swan. He climbs up. So we're backstage. They're, like, in the studio lot area. 
There was this like yep. X, like a like what they what were they what were they calling it? I can't even remember what it was called. Uh, X shaped steel girders. Yeah. After like barely I, any offense, Jeff hits on him. He hits a swanton through abyss through two tables. It got yeah, it got extreme fast. I also put the note that you just said. Almost immediately, they went right into the uh, falls count anywhere stipulation. And like, like real quick, normally when it's a match like this, they do some wrestling in the ring and then it spills out. But it was almost immediate that they just started going to the back and using everything. Yeah, and that Swanton only gets a two count. Yeah, so. I was I was surprised to see it that early. Yeah, that was really early for a Swanton, but they got the big spots early. I thought I thought it was too early for it, but. Anyway, they do make their way back towards the ring. Abyss eventually crotches Jeff across the steel guardrail. Weapons get involved. Abyss wedges a chair in between the ropes while Jeff sets up a chair. He uh, jumps and drop kicks a steel chair into Abyss. That was a nice little spot. Um, Abyss actually, he goes, he got, he's a high flyer during this match. Off the second rope with a big splash. I was impressive by Abyss there. Oh, it was. And I kind of noticed, I've, I've, we've seen a few matches with Abyss, it feels, and he looked pretty slim compared yeah, to the ones we've seen. Yeah, he looked really good here. And uh, Jeff bags Abyss with the side of a chair at one point, which you don't see that very often. I like that. Mm-hmm. One issue I had with this match was they took, they were, they were looking for weapons for too long. They couldn't find the weapons. I, I made that note too. I especially, especially when Jeff was looking for that ladder. Yeah, like, it was a lot of setup time. Yeah, but we did. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Yeah, with with the setup time, it it's again another just awkward thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Like you know they're looking for something. Man, I don't know how exactly that plays out backstage. Like, are they supposed to know where it is? Like which side of the like, ring it is there's six sides to look for it in on so <laughs> that's right yeah under a four-sided ring it's a it's probably easier to remember but yeah you, know, you, you have to look through five actually five sides five spots on the ring but still actually that's yeah, six it's six <laughs> it's yeah christmas so add, add, add an extra few sides it's a little difficult <laughs> yeah to remember where everything is so i give him a pass on that point so Jeff does get the ladder, sets it up in the ring. Jeff punches Abyss off the ladder. He leapfrogs over the ladder, hits that signature leg drop onto Abyss, only gets a near fall. Abyss hits his shock treatment backbreaker on Jeff for a two count. Uh, things picked up here late, too. So Jeff hits a float over as Abyss runs into that chair that was wedged in between the middle and top ropes. Jeff gets a roll up for a long two count. He heads up top. Abyss cuts him off. Abyss then finds a table, and that's where another lull happened here. But he eventually does get the table into the ring. Uh, Abyss puts Jeff on the table, heads up top. Jeff cuts him off, takes his shirt off. Abyss then uh, catches Jeff with a powerbomb as Jeff goes for a Frankensteiner from the top rope. He nearly hits his head on a ladder at this po- on, the, on that spot. It looks scary. Yeah, that was a tough one, tough bump. And here's the end. Abyss pulls the ladder down flat to the mat. Jeff punching at Abyss from his knees. Abyss goes for a choke slam on the ladder. Then Jeff counters with a twist of fate onto the ladder. Gives Jeff the one, two, three at 15 minutes and 29 seconds. This, I'd say, may have been the best match of the night at this point in time. I gave it a B minus. 
Oh, easily. E- <coughs> easily the best match of the night. And that's so not far. saying much, really. No, not really. Uh, for me, um, I liked how quick they got into the stipulation. It was a, I, I got all the classic Jeff Hardy that I wanted, the swanton off of the wall, which was pretty early. The uh, chair drop kick I thought was a nice spot. Yeah, I thought I that was cool that. too. That looked smooth. And I, I think you call it a slingshot leg drop where uh, Jeff yeah, had yeah, the- a leapfrog. Leapfrog, leapfrog, uh, leg drop. I, um, I think that just looks really cool. Yeah, he hit that. And he first hit that back in '99, by the way. Yeah, uh, the only negatives I would say was one. I really wanted Jeff to do a swanton off of the X. Uh, setup. Oh, the cables. The cables. Yeah, I kind of expected that because I mean it's Jeff Hardy. You thought you, you'd expect it. And I kind of I thought the ending would be a little more extreme than just a twist of fate, you know? I was fine with it at that point because we already saw the kind of I think maybe if they switched the ladder spot and the swanton spot around, that would have been better. Yes. But maybe they want, but maybe they wanted that to happen in the arena. Uh okay. I could see that. But but uh, anyway, what'd you give the match? I gave it an A minus. Oh, solid. I, I much more forgiving than me. So, yeah. but we get Abyss attacking Jeff post match. Almost every match has had some sort of post match interference. Yeah. But the most signature spot, Abyss grabs a grabs a bag of thumbtacks, empties it into the ring, and then black hole slams Jeff into the tax. Uh, nasty spot. But uh, so, Jo, what are your thoughts on that thumbtack spot? That was that was a pretty good one. That was brutal. That was brutal looking. Jeff took all of that. Mad respect, and they they sold that really well. I thought they sold that spot very well. Like it, like they made it look very brutal because they showed Jeff's back and everything. Got a close up on it. Thought that was yeah, really you good. Can, you can already see the blood, like the drops just coming down. It was yeah, it was good. I liked it. And uh, so we get Team Canada celebrating in the lot. Uh, the, they're going to talk about how they're going to win all the titles, and well, they're. Leader Jeff Jarrett, I'm pretty sure, is already a part of Team Canada at this point, if I remember right. So they already have the title in their possession. Uh, then Johnny Fairplay shows up again. Yay! I love Johnny Fairplay. But uh, he's back to recruit Team Canada to be members of his team. And they don't. They don't want him. They kind of scare him away. I think Team Canada does. Then we get another blood feud, as we like to call it, blood feud, figuratively and literally. Because it's going to be a first blood match. The Outlaw. Who wasn't going by any name at this point. <laughs> his, really name, his real name is Billy Gunn. Well, his, his, he's better known as Billy Gunn. He uh, takes on Kevin Nash. I'm going to refer to Gunn as Kevin Gunn. To, the Outlaw's Gunn throughout this match. So just letting everyone know. But yeah, that last match got 15 minutes. Wow. 15 and a half minutes. Um... So Nash is ticked off because because yeah. Gunn cost him the world title at Against All Odds, and then we get the entrance music here, which is the most it, which is a very generic version of Billy Gunn's WWE music, Ass Man. I'm an <laughs> Ass Man, do do. And now his now his uh, sons are known as the Ass Boys. Such an unfortunate name. <laughs> it was the Gun Club. They're actually the Gun Club, but. <laughs> The acclaimed, everybody loves the acclaimed. 
and uh, they're they call them the Ass Boys, and which was actually initially coined by Peter Avalon, then Danhausen stole it from them, which that that's how it got more popularity, and then the acclaim just started calling them the Ass Boys, and uh, so the Nash theme here actually was pretty good. You walking out to was it had a nice little beat to it. It was catchy. And this match is not the prettiest match. It's a fight. That's expected. Um, yeah. That, yeah, Nash had some uh, back el- nice back elbows in the corner. So I liked that Tanae ta- ta- Tanae has these good points. Like, he gives some great insight during these matches. Like, why th- certain things are happening the way they are. Like, there's, there's a reason why the guy's hands are taped. Oh, it's because it's a first blood match, so it gives him a good opportunity with the fists and stuff and all that. I thought that was a really good, smart point he made there. How do you feel about that, J.O.? It's actually funny you use that example because it's when he when he said that that I I took note of that because I was thinking, damn, that's a good point. I never would have thought of it like that. But yeah, you you you're right on that. Like Tanae doesn't, I don't think Tanae gets enough respect in that regard because he's good. He's real. Like one thing he is really good about is he gives. He likes. He he gives a lot of background, which is good for uh, like in situations like this when we're when we're uh, coming coming into this kind of cold or pretty cold because mm. this match is like twenty years old. Mm. So it's definitely a nice little thing to have when watching this. Yeah, and uh, like. I think Tanae and Wes really complemented each other well because Tanae was the facts guy, the nerd guy, the play-by-play. He's the, he's the conductor of all this. Don Wes is just in there to bring emotion and get super into it and get, get people excited and stuff. Yeah. He was the excitable guy. He was the... Yeah. Okay, he was, he was like Pat McAfee. He was Pat McAfee before Pat McAfee, actually. That's fair. That's a fair comparison. I would agree with that. Cause he, he get they they think Don like Don West like think he's which is who he's currently fighting fighting cancer. So we wish Don West nothing but the best. Of course, of course, because he he brought so much passion. He brings so much. He brought so much passion and energy to the broadcast booth. Does West? It just reminds me of what McAfee does now. Yeah, like it was he was before his time really. I could, yeah, I could definitely see that because, as you know, McAfee's awesome on commentary, huge addition to WWE, and you know he wasn't the first. He wasn't the first energy guy like that. No. And Don West did not lack energy, not one bit. But definitely had plenty. But they also Don. Tanae also makes a good point here. He discusses the championship history of both of these guys from uh, WWF and slash WWE. So that was that was nice as well. So Gunn is working the knee of Nash. Uh, Gunn gets the screwdriver out, and Nash stops him before he gets stabbed. Uh, drives him down with a straight right. Um, so Nash launches Gunn over the top to the floor. Slams his head off the guardrail. They did a nice job of teasing stuff, teasing the blood spots during this match. I thought um, Nash does grab a chair, which is like the 800th chair by this point's been involved. Which I think Don West made that point. There are so many, so many chairs involved on this show. So many. It was. It, was, it should have been. Uh, 
destination chair. I don't know. I was trying to come up with something quippy, but it was that didn't end up working out well. But <laughs> Gun lines up for a chair shot and drills Nash right in the face, so no blood. Gun then uses wire cutters to expose the steel on the turnbuckle. They uh they they trade opportunities to put their heads put the heads in the turnbuckles, and uh, Nash goes for snake eyes at one point. Gun pushes him into ref Rudy Charles. So here comes the here comes the shenanigans here. The shenanigans. Not not like the normal shenanigans in the, during this pay per view where everyone comes out and gets involved. It's just different kind <laughs> of shenanigans here. So Gun slams Nash's head on the exposed turnbuckle. Still no blood. Low blow by Nash. Nash completely exposes the steel because there was a little tiny pad on it before. And then Snake Eyes onto the turnbuckle, does it a second time. Nash hits some rights on Gun. And then Nash has blood on, shows the blood on his knuckles, signifying that Gun is, is busted open. And uh, Nash does drag the ref back in. Actually, there is. I lied. Sorry, I lied, everyone. There is Tom Foolery because Jarrett shows up, the NWA world champion. Hits Nash in the head with the NWA belt. Then Attorney Daggert shows up with a doctor to wipe the blood away from Billy Gunn's head. Which is actually, I, I thought that was kind of it. I thought that was kind of smart. I hadn't seen that before. But the yeah, attorney, neither have I. Yeah, that was that was actually pretty creative. I, I give him credit for that. Yeah. So Attorney and the doctor leave ringside. Nash is shown bleeding. Then Charles goes to the outside. He like magically magically wakes up. Rudy Charles does, and show, sees Nash bleeding ring reading bleeding on the outside. Calls for the bell, and then at eleven minutes and eighteen seconds, giving the win to the outlaw Billy Gunn. Outside of the really screwy finish, I I was okay with this match. I liked the teases they did. I, I like the creativeness at least. But I absolutely hated the finish with the doctor and lawyer. I actually kind of like that because, like you said, I've never seen it. I've never seen uh, Last Blood or First Blood, whatever you want to call it. I know different promotions call it something else. I've never seen a match like that end like that with a cut man running out, cleaning him up, putting on a band aid. <laughs> I thought it was funny, and I, I could. With, and with this match, and I'll add my note to like the entire pay per view, so many screwy finishes. There was right? a lot, a lot. But it was an all right match. I don't think it was the worst one of the night by far. No, I I, I would agree. Have to agree. Yeah, but for me, overall grade, I gave it a C plus. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to give it a C plus too. That's why I gave it because I, I wasn't a great match by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it was all right. So Kevin Nash, after this, is uh, pissed off. After I gave it a C plus, I if I don't if I didn't mention already, Nash is pretty pissed. Uh, drilling with Billy Gum with rights. Nash lowers the straps. Knee lifts on. Hits some knee lifts. He falls over as he's hitting the jackknife powerbomb, which that could have ended very badly because Gunn could have landed on the back of his neck. But thank Oof. goodness he didn't, and everything ended up okay. And he ended up wrestling like 20 years later. Yep, he's still wrestling now. Yeah. Billy Gunn, who looks like he's in the best shape of his freaking life. 
at 57, 58 years old now, which is just ridiculous, to be honest. Crazy. But we get the X Division title match this time. The Ultimate X Challenge match for the X Division Championship. All right, J.O., I'm going to give you a little... I know you're probably not familiar with Ultimate X so much. This is is probably your first Ultimate X you've watched. Correct. And I remember last time... It might have been last time, the time before that. I can't remember where I talked about where I thought the X Division was exclusively this kind of match with the title being held up like that. (coughs) Sorry. And Skyler's going to edit it right here. And I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and so I thought the X Division match was um, the all those matches in that division were exclusively the X. Gotcha. And I was excited to see that, oh, I'm finally going to get that Ultimate X match. And I've seen the highlights. Of course I've seen the highlights because those highlights are awesome. But I didn't know the entire match involved the beginning with the tag match and then the No, it doesn't. Threat. It doesn't normally. It doesn't? it doesn't normally. Okay. Okay. No, normally it's just a freaking free for all. That's like if it was under a normal format, this would just be a free for all and whoever gets the title first wins. It was there was no like sequence of this happening. Okay, so I, I was confused because that's they, what I was expecting. Cause uh when the when the match started, I was expecting. I I think I was expecting like six people to come out, six or eight. I don't know how many they usually do, but in the videos I always watch, there's always a lot of people. So yeah. I was expecting like six people, but then when only four people came out and they started the match, I was a little confused of what was going on. It varies, but I I don't I I, I like I'm happy that I I like when they do just this normal format for this instead of. I know they were trying something different here. I didn't like the format personally. I, I liked a little bit of storytelling they did, but the format overall, I'd rather just be free for all, go nuts, spot fest city. I, I don't care. I just want to have fun. <laughs> I needed some fun on this pay-per-view because I was not having a ton of fun watching this. Yeah, I could, I could kind of agree. I was excited for this one though, especially when I saw AJ Styles was going to be in this match. Easy, mm-hmm. easy way to get me interested. So we get the video package highlighting Ultimate X and AJ's title defense against Daniels the previous month in an Iron Man match, uh, and he where he beats Christopher Daniels in sudden death. We get two other men in this match. So it's Christopher Daniels. It's Christopher Daniels versus AJ Styles, who is the current X Division champion, versus primetime Elix Skipper, who is a former tag team partner of Christopher Daniels. Elix Skipper is an absolute freak athlete, by the way. Then Ron Killings also involved in this match. Our truth better known as, but we get the tag format to start this. And so, so we have the way the dynamic of this match is quite interesting because we have a heel and a baby face on each team. If you notice J.O. Mm-hmm. So we have AJ Styles, the fa- face with prime time, uh, teaming with primetime Elix Skipper who's a heel at this point against Ron Killings, who's a face and Christopher Daniels, who is a heel. So yeah, it's an interesting format to start. So way this was broken down folks at home, 
So it was a four-man tag match to start, this Ultimate X Challenge match. It's a four-man tag match to start. Whoever gets pinned gets eliminated from the match. Then the match shifts to a triple threat match. And then whoever gets pinned there is eliminated, and then the remaining two will compete in an Ultimate X match for the X Division Championship. So that's how the format goes. And so the dynamic early on here, so Skipper and Styles are not really getting along. And Skipper's like refusing to tag in, or actually he's killing. Daniel's the first one to refuse to tag in for killings. And then Skipper wasn't going to tag in for Styles, so he hit him in the back. And then eventually Killings and Skip, uh, not Skipper, but Killings and Styles throw Skipper into the ring. Uh, Truth has Truth had a really good spot at one point where he uh, uh, hit that scissor kick off the top rope. Oh, that was smooth. That was nice. Uh, Skipper had a really high drop kick as well in this one too. And uh, I thought that was pretty good. And then we get our first elimination in. So it's an air raid crash on Truth by Skipper to eliminate Killings. So now this match is a three-way with Skipper, Daniels, and Styles. And Daniels wants to team up with Skipper, but we know that's not going to last probably. They're the former tag partners. They tease it for a second. At one point, but here are some signature spots from that. They started using the cables here more as uh, Daniels mm-hmm. climbed the uh, cables hanging from them. Some of these spots felt super contrived. Yeah, with unfortunately, with like the way the match is set up, there definitely needs some cautionary setup for the spots. And if it gets to a certain point where it takes too long, it kind of takes you out, which I could kind of. I could I could kind of get that feeling with some of these. I thought the Daniels one was good. Yeah, I, I like one, the Daniels ones. Yeah, so the Dan, so the way the ring was set up, everybody. So there's four different tr- trusses set up. Like, uh, what you call what would you call them? Like, I yeah, trusses if you want to call them that. There's four different ones around the ring. They all have cables at the top merging into an X where the X division title is hanging. But yeah, Daniels at one point, he climbs up the cables, flips himself over, then drops himself into a moonsault on Skipper and uh, Styles, which was very, very nice, I'll say. Yeah, it was definitely one of my favorite ones of that match. It was very innovative. But then we get the issues from Skipper and Daniels. Daniels manipulates Skipper. Then Daniels screws him over and hits him with the clothesline. Daniels beats Skipper down, T-bone suplexes him. Daniels goes to backdrop him. Skipper counters, almost lands on his feet. Then a belly-to-belly from Skipper, spinning back kick to annealing Daniels. Then Daniels gets out of the way as Skipper eats a phenomenal forearm. Backbreaker, gutbuster combo by Styles. Gosh, so his offense at this point was mostly freaking crisp. Not everything hit in this match, but that one was specifically hit very well very very well so there then they all fight on the top rope so aj daniels and skipper all on the top skipper moments later jumps and grabs the cable uh hits a poison rana on aj and then taking him down to the mat then daniels gets called with a power bomb from skipper aj gets on the cables again 
this one was one of the contri- very kind of very contrived ones because it took a lot took a while to set up. Yeah, because AJ hits a shooting star press, but it barely lands. This this was not one of AJ's better matches where everything hit. Most of the time he does. Most of the time he really really does. But th- there was a lot of there was a lot of not a lot of room for error. But it there was just a little there was a lot of little errors in this match. Not. Not, not. They were trying their hardest. They were trying very hard. You got to give them credit oh, for trying. It was just, it was, oh. it just didn't land a lot. Some, a lot of this stuff. Yeah, they absolutely gave their hard outs for sure. And yeah, the spot you mentioned that I noticed was uh, where it made me go, eh, that could have been better. Was the uh, shooting star press because he didn't get like the full rotation. Mm-hmm. And for a second, I almost thought it was a botch. Like, yeah. was he supposed to swing around that second time? Like, I don't know. You know, it was kind of weird, but yeah. Then Styles kind of goes for a springboard reverse. He takes a little sloppy. Then Skipper hits Styles with an air raid crash. Somehow Styles kicks out. No, no, he doesn't kick out. Actually, there's no cover because Skipper he's unable to make the cover, and then Daniels uh, rolls him up with the tights to eliminate his former tag partner. Now it's Styles and Daniels in Ultimate X. And a lot of this here, I there. So I get what they were trying to accomplish as both men were trying so hard to get to the title. They were like, it was so evenly matched that they couldn't get to the title. Neither one of them were able to secure it. It was just done. I felt like too many times on at the, during this part, part of the match. Yeah. The falling down both. Like there wasn't enough actually actual wrestling in between the, there wasn't like, it would literally be, okay, let's climb the cables. There was one good portion. The one part I really, really, I liked was the STO, even though that looked a bit contrived as well, but a lot of spots in a match are contrived, but they like look especially contrived in this situation when they're hanging by the cables. And, uh, so there's just a lot of, yeah, get up. Okay, climb up, get knocked down. Climb up, get knocked down. Climb up, get knocked down. It happened like four or five times, it felt like. Yeah, it was a got, lot. Like, I wish they would have had more wrestling in between because these guys are really, 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 uh, 100 really good at wrestling, professional wrestling. But they weren't, like, doing mat moves in between these spots. And it was killing the drama, I, th- I honestly think. I think it's because they're thinking with the, this type, with this match type, everyone wants those spots. And you know, we do. But if that's all it is, then, yeah, I see where you're coming from. So we're, at the, we're near the end here. After another spot where they wrap each other, like Daniels wraps his legs around Styles, and Styles wraps his legs around Daniels, they both fall. So they climb again. Ref is down. I don't remember how the ref even got knocked down here. AJ grabs the title. Daniels hits the Angels wings. So like AJ's grabs the title. He's celebrating, but the ref's backs, ref's kind of selling. Daniels hits the Angels wings. Steals that grabs the titles and falls down to the mat. So the ref recovers and sees Daniels with the title. And he is the new X Division champion. He's rewarded the awarded the title and the win. Another screwy finish. Another one. 
and this is not the end of the screwy finishes here tonight. Nope, not at all. And so I, I don't know if I'd say I it was probably the best match on the card, but I wouldn't say it was. I'd may give the the lean to Jeff Hardy and Abyss because I had more fun with that, to be honest. Like I, I get the story. I like the story they told with Skipper and uh, Daniels working together and then one backstabs the other. I, I didn't mind that. I thought the Styles Daniels thing was good when where they were even so evenly matched, but they went to the well too many times on that, the cable spots. It was just the yeah, drama. It killed the drama. I the finish was clever, but it was another screwy finish. Of we've we've already seen multiple screwy finishes. We just saw a screwy finish in the previous match. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that was the last match. Yeah. Had a screwy finish. So yep. why, why do it again? But uh, I gave it a B minus. I got B plus for mine. I liked it. I, I I've seen better spots in Ultimate X matches. I like I, I like when I want to watch an Ultimate X match. I want to see spots. Yeah. Like they did some spots. I just I don't know. It just didn't vibe with me for some reason. But I was expecting more from the actual Ultimate X portion of the match. I think this would have been a better format if this was just been a four way. Like just a four way. <coughs> just like a four way Ultimate X match. You mean? Yeah. I could see that. That would have been dope, yeah. I understand they were trying to tell a story with Styles and Daniels at the end, but I like they could have done that inside the format of like just a regular Ultimate X match instead of an Ultimate X Challenge match. Uh, I, well, I guess my bar's kind of my. Uh, yeah, I guess my with my bar being low, like this is the, my first actual Ultimate X match, so I'll have to, definitely have to see another one to yeah. verify. But I could probably see it right. But no, it's it's your opinion. I I just I've seen other Ultimate X matches, and I I've seen a lot better Ultimate X matches. This was pretty much a three stages of the Hell match if you think about it, because it was three different parts to it. Because we had a tag, we had a triple threat, and then we had the Ultimate X match. So, which yeah, then, that's true. It is, yeah. Which then uh, leads us into another fair play segment. The final fair play segment is asking Buck Corbain and Lex Lovett, whoever those guys are. Fair play is looking for another tag team. He begs them to be his tag team. And he's talking about Fox Sports, Survivor, and all that. TNA contracts. He's like, oh, there's going to be TNA contract for you guys. It sounds like they agree. JL, what were your take on these segments for this night? On on for this like story they were trying to tell throughout the night. I I I, did, I was not a big fan. I mean, I thought the the the, the vignettes were okay for the story. It was it was I don't think I ever actually got super into what was gonna happen. Like I watched them, thought they were a few were kind of funny, but eh. All right, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely hated them. <laughs> I just did not like them at all. It was just super corny. I, I could, I just, and I didn't like, I don't connect with Fair Play. I don't really care about Survivor. So I, I had a hard time connecting with that. So anyway, it leads us to our main event. 
Jeff Jarrett, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, taking on DDP, Diamond Dallas Page. And I have to say, coming into this match, Diamond Dallas Page looks practically the same as he did in 2005. Man does not age. It must be the yoga. It has to be the yoga, man. He doesn't look much different than he did then. But that's 17 years ago, by the way. And uh, this match is called a ringside revenge match. So pretty much Dusty Rhodes has set up this match as there's going to be policemen surrounding the ring, including Monty Brown, Three Live Crew, Conan, Ron Killings, BG James, Larry Zabisco, Chris Candido, The Naturals, Chase Stevens, and Andy Douglas, and the attorney, Haggart, or whatever his name is. And so TDP comes out this off-brand version of Smells Like Teen Spirit from Nirvana. Did you notice that? Uh, that's that's what I thought it was. It sounded very, very eerily similar. Very similar. Like, obviously, they probably couldn't get the rights to the song, so they did the best they could to get it without having to worry about a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So this match is in the midst of a nine-and-a-half-month reign for Jeff Jarrett. And a, there's supposed to be no physical contact between the competitors and the ringside policemen. And J.O. JL facts for you, for you uh, and the folks at home. This was DDP's final singles pay-per-view match. Is that right? Yeah, his final singles match on a pay-per-view. Huh. Before he would retire? Yeah, or... he, he just never wrestled any more singles matches on pay-per-view after this. He didn't like he had he was in Royal Rumble and stuff, and he wrestled on Dynamite at one point, but this was his last pay-per-view, like big pay-per-view singles match. He had another match in uh, April at Lethal uh in Lethal Lockdown in TNA, but like singles match-wise, this was his last one. Oh wow. So to start this match, it's Jarrett like cowers out for the first few minutes. There's a lot of brawling on the outside early on in this match. Like it's a lot, lot like first half of this match is pretty much outside of the ring. Uh, Jarrett puts his hands on Monty Brown, whom he screwed before over before, which that foreshadows our finish a little bit. So we get in the ring. And then uh, DDP's in complete control, wrecking Jarrett, throwing him all over the place, over the guardrail, hitting with the trash cans, throwing him into the stage, the announce table, the Spanish announce table, all over the place. And so they get back into the ring as after DDP did hit him with a crutch too. And they had brought out a computer chair. And Tanae makes this weird line where he's like, look at the size of that chair. I'm like, Dude, it's a normal chair, a computer chair. Normal chair. <laughs> but I don't think I've ever seen a computer chair. I'll give him that, but it was still a normal-sized chair. So he hits an inverted atomic drop, which was one of the more funny comedy parts of this match, was Jarrett was now seated in the chair, and Jarrett's spinning around as he's getting hit. DDP then boots him backwards out of the chair. Low blow is the equalizer for Jarrett, turns the tide, and then Jarrett drops him face-first on the top rope onto the top of a turnbuckle. And he drops the computer chair on the knee of DDP, and then so DDP's knee gets worked over for a while. Eventually he locks in the figure four leg lock. DDP eventually gets over to the ropes. 
Jarrett also locks in a sleeper at one point. Page does fight out. It's a sleeper slam for the double down. DDP does hit lay a lot of uh, multiple lariats during this match. Hits a big boot at one point. Uh, Jarrett hits his head on the top turnbuckle, gets his head hit on the top turnbuckle repeatedly. DDP gets a near fall off an Uranagi. And big move from DDP uh, was a sit-out spinning powerbomb where Jeff just swings his both his arms up, which is interesting. Yeah. That was, it that still was, looked like his shoulders were down. Yeah, right? kind of. <laughs> oh, man, Jeff Jarrett. Never, he's never, he never goes away, ever. He just, he always comes back. <sighs> so here we go. Here comes, you guessed it, interference from the Naturals and Candido. Uh, they give Jarrett the opening to hit the stroke. DDP somehow kicks out. DDP is like Superman in this match. Then the DD, then that triggers the baby faces and the heel to heels to uh, fight uh, ringside. Uh, Jarrett's handed the guitar by gun. James comes into the ring. Larry Sabisco actually was beating up Candido at this point, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so Bill, yeah, James comes into the ring. BG James, James steals the guitar from between Jarrett's legs and low blows him. Conan then pulls Jarrett to the mat and puts him nuts first into the post. Then James lines him up for the guitar shot. James inadvertently hits Conan with the guitar. And now Jarrett's up top. Charles gets knocked into Jarrett, the ref, crouching him on the top rope. Gun that's hit, the gun then hits a famous sir on DDP. DDP somehow kicks out again. But then... Uh, Gunn's old friend Waltman shows up, hits a spin kick on Jarrett, then Gunn, Bronco Busters for everybody, clotheslines Gunn out of the ring and chases him up the ramp. Now, Attorney Dagger's in here with a distraction. Douglas eats a diamond cutter. Candido eats one. Steven eats one. Stevens eats one as well. Then DDP hits one on Jarrett. Finally, off the second rope, they've been teasing it. Uh, Dagger then gets into the ring as well as Monty Brown. Braun set, Brown says he will take care of Daggert if you pin Jarrett. I'm like, all right. Then Brown swerves everybody and hits the pounce on DDP, which, God, I hated it. Uh, and then that ultimately ends the match. Jarrett wins, retains. yippee ki Match goes 20-plus minutes. Longest two matches on the show were the semi-main and the main event. The X Division title match went 24 minutes, 55. This one went 21 minutes, and 34 seconds. I was having fun a bit for this match until the inner all the shenanigans were happening at the end. So many, so many, like more than all of the other matches combined. Because basically, everyone else in this pay per view was involved in this match. Basically, yeah, I don't know. I hated it. I hated the end. I didn't like Brown getting swerving, just rejoining Jarrett pretty much at this point. I was like, he's a baby, he's a really good baby face. Why, why switch him now? He was. Should have kept him that like that. That's just my yeah. opinion. Because he was he was he was pretty popular. He was, he was hot at the time. But I give I give this match a C plus. I was having fun for a while until the end. Uh, definitely not one of the worst. I didn't think it was the best. I gave it a B minus. Another B minus. I just hated the swerve at the end. That that just killed me. I just did not like the swerve. And so Jarrett and Brown celebrate at the end, and then we get. The end of the show. It's a preview for lockdown next month. The next month, 
And so final thoughts on the show on my end, nothing was great here. Honestly, there were two decent matches and that was Hardy and Abyss in the four way X division match between styles, Daniels and skipper and killing styles, 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 Daniels, skipper and killings outside of that. Nothing was very good here. This is probably the weakest TNA show we've reviewed on this uh, show. Uh, the Disciples of Destruction, Phi Delta Slam match. Y'all already know my thoughts on that. Abysmal. And Monty Brown versus Triton was not very good as well. So uh, I gave this show a C grade. J.O., what was your grade? C plus. It was all right, but that's not what you want out of a pay-per-view. A few good matches. Most were eh. So, yeah. A lot of interference. C. A lot of interference. A lot of swerves. Too much going on. But uh, – I hope you all enjoyed that review of TNA Destination X 2005. Make sure to listen next week as we talk about Triple H in charge of WWE Creative. What are the possibilities? What are our thoughts on him taking over in Vince's spot as head of creative after what seems to be an eternity? Yeah, we'll talk about that next week here on Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. Thank you to J.O., for joining me on the show. It's always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So for J.O., I'm Skylar Sigdaddy Sigmund saying thank you all for listening and so long, everybody. <laughs>